What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey, folks, we're continuing this conversation. How do you maintain perspective in a world full of noise and chaos? And hey, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I'm wearing my Gravity Podcast noise and chaos shirt. I don't know if you all know, we have a we have a store. We have merchandise, folks. We have shirts and coffee mugs and all kinds of other things like that. It helps pay for the uh, what it takes for us to make the podcast. So if you're uh, if you've been listening and you like what you're hearing, jump over there and check out some of our merchandise. It's down in the show notes, folks. We're bringing guests on here, and Jamie and I are having conversations on Marriage Mondays, and we're hoping whether you agree or disagree with the guest the guests, or Jamie and my perspective, we're hoping it's causing you to ask the question, how do I stay grounded in a noisy and chaotic world? There's plenty of things out there that are going to distract you, that are going to needle you, and and we don't want that stuff getting you carried away. Uh, today's guest is retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Oakland McCullough. Uh, Oak reached out to me and we had a pre-interview and just a gracious man, lots of leadership perspective, life perspective. I'm excited to get into this interview. But first, folks, you know what I want to talk about, Service Peace Warriors. Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to taking care of our nation's heroes. That's right, the men and women that are returning with either a mental or a physical injury, Service Peace Warriors has their back. They're raising all the money. They're training up both the service animal and the veteran, and they're equipping the veteran with the healing power of a service animal. Folks, if you haven't looked at them yet, please check them out today, servicepeacewarriors.org. Let's get into this interview with Oak. Lieutenant Colonel Oakland McCullough, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Chris. I've, been, I've really been looking forward to this. I have too. Uh, you know, the listeners don't know that we had a pre-interview, which I had to cancel 10 minutes late. And, <laughs> and you were very gracious about that. And then we had a follow-up interview that was dynamite. And so I, I've been super excited about it as well. Hey, if you don't mind, for listeners that don't know you, Oak, can you just share kind of that that Reader's Digest version of, of who you are and where you came from? Right. I, I grew up in northern Illinois, uh, which is why I live in Florida, because I'm never living through winters like that again. I did 23 years in the Army. I retired a lieutenant colonel. My first five years, I was an infantry officer. My last 18, I was a armored cavalry officer. Did a lot of time teaching in the classroom at a bunch of different army schools. And then uh, my last assignment on active duty, I ran an army ROTC program. So I was producing the next generation of leaders for the, not only for the army, but for the nation. And then I, when I retired in 2009, I ran a food bank for a couple of years and uh, took over that food bank, the day-to-day operation of that food bank, uh, um, probably about a month, month and a half before the BP oil spill in the Gulf. And the, food bank I had had 52 counties all along the Gulf Coast from Mississippi to the panhandle of Florida. So I was a little busy during those two years. And then they offered me to come here and work as the recruiting officer for the, for Army ROTC. And I've been doing that for about 10 years now. And I'm going to retire on October 1st. 
I'm going to write my second book and then I'm just going to concentrate on speaking engagements. I love it. So 23 years in the army, where, where were you stationed at around the world during that time? Yeah. So all over in the United States. Um, and then I was stationed in Germany, one six month tour by myself with, without my family. And then uh, two years with my family, the six month was in Stuttgart. The two year was in Vilsack, Germany and Bavaria. We were in Australia for two years. I was teaching at their staff college. And then I've been deployed on either deployments or training exercises or whatever, uh, all, you know, all over the world. Uh, I was in the first Gulf War. I was in Bosnia. I was, uh, did some stuff in Bosnia uh, and in, in Kosovo. Did a couple hurricane emergency relief operations. I did Hurricane Hugo in Charleston, and I, and I was involved in the Hurricane Andrew in uh, South Florida. And then also my company was tagged to uh, help train all of the international police force that was going into Haiti back in the early 90s because I had a headquarters and headquarters company. So I had cooks, MPs, signal, medical, whole bunch of different types of specialties in my company. And so it would made this make sense that we got tagged to do it. What has just experiencing so many cultures, what has that done for your perspective in life? Yeah, well, first, uh, first of all, I tell people all the time, look, I've been in 45 countries on five continents and America is the greatest country in the world. Even with all our problems, and we have plenty of them, believe me, this is still the greatest country in the world. But I think one of the things that I learned, and I learned very quickly, but certainly where I learned it the most was during my Kosovo deployment. You, you learn about the culture and the baggage that they carry. And we think here in America, we know what hatred is. We have no idea what hatred is in this country. I'll give you an example. You know, lots of times I had to do meetings with either all Serbs or all Albanians. Sometimes they were combined. I'd always get the first 30 minutes of a meeting was, well, this is what they did to us a thousand years ago. And it, well, you did this 1500. And finally, after about the fourth meeting, I said, look, stop. I said, I'm a history major. I know what all happened. I said, but we're going from this point on. I don't want to hear about the past anymore. Let's work from this point forward. And one day I was going to a meeting, an all Serb meeting, and I had a priest, a Serb priest in the back of my Humvee. He didn't have a ride to the meeting and had to go right by. So I picked him up and en route to the meeting, there was a disturbance in one of the Albanian towns. And so my, some of my soldiers called me and said, sir, you really need to get here. And I said, okay. So I drove over there, Serb priest is in the back of my Humvee. In, a, in an Albanian town. And I told him, I, I said, look, this is really simple. You stay in the back of the Humvee, you will be safe. You get out, you're on your own. I can't help you. So I come back after doing whatever I had to do. And he's sitting in the back of the Humvee. He didn't get out. But there was this little boy, probably four or five years old, Albanian, who walked up to my Humvee, realized he was a Serb priest. I mean, he was in all his garb and everything. And that little four or five-year-old boy did this. Slitting his throat. To that priest. Now, that's hatred. I mean, and, and, and he was taught that by his parents. He didn't learn that. I mean, he didn't know that. That was taught by his parents. Learn behavior, yes. Yeah. I always try to 
pick up on some of the culture, some of the history of wherever I've been. And again, being a history major, that the second nature to me, I always love to do that anyway. Now, Oak, I I can't remember the exact number. How long have you been married? 36 years, 36 and a half years. So how healthy would that 36, 36 and a half year marriage be if you and your wife were constantly recycling all of each other's failures for the last 36 plus years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's one of the things I always talk about is, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. Yeah. Everybody. There are no perfect people in this world. And believe me, I've been trying for 36 years to convince my wife that I am and she's not buying it. (laughs) There are no perfect people. We're all going to make mistakes. And part of life is to forgive and forget. Learn from those mistakes. But but you got to forgive people because in the end, life is about people. I mean, plain and simple. At least it should be. Relationships have to be based on trust. They have to be based on mutual understanding of where, you know, a vision of where you want to go and what you want to accomplish. And, uh, and my wife and I have had that. And, you know, my wife was in the army for eight years as well. She was an army nurse. We met in ROTC in college. And so we've had a, a, pretty good vision of where we wanted to go and what we wanted to do from, from the beginning. Now, our first path doesn't always, doesn't always get us to where we originally thought we were going to go. You started at West Point. And yeah. You, you were at I West did. Point for a little bit. So can you talk about that? Where was that? Where did you make that decision to transition to ROTC? Yeah. So right out of high school, I went to West Point. I, I was there for two years, played baseball there. And, uh, then my father, who owned a bar, a tavern, not sure you can call it a bar, a tavern in a small little farm town we grew up in. There were 1,200 people and there were three bars in town. <laughs> and he owned one of them. And uh, so I came home and I helped him run it for about 18 months uh, when he was having some health issues and things. And so then I just decided, I, I knew I still wanted to be an officer in the Army. I still wanted to be a leader. And, you know, it was funny because about halfway through ROTC, my two years at my last two years at, at Northern Illinois University, where I graduated, he was getting ready to, he wanted to sell the bar and move on. And he said, any interest in buying this bar? I said, absolutely not. None. <laughs> I said, I know what my life is going to be. And it isn't this made that decision, but I knew I still wanted to be in the army. So I got back into ROTC as soon as I started at Northern Illinois University. And, uh, knew I wanted to make a career out of the army. I, you, you never know that for, you, you think you know those things. You know, I was a little bit older than the 17 or 18 year olds saying that. I, at that point I was about 20, 22, I think, cause I was 24 when I got commissioned, 23 and a half, 24. So I, I pretty much knew that at least that's what I thought I wanted to do. And I was lucky. I had a, some really good bosses, uh, some really good leaders. And that, you know, that's what determines whether or not you stay in it, in it or not. You know, you can say you want to stay in it, but you get a couple bad, bad leaders in a row and, and people start to move on and do something else. And I had, a, you know, I had my share of I had a couple leaders that were not good leaders, learned a lot from them as well, what not to do. But I had some great leaders who really helped me decide that this is what I wanted to do and that it was about the people that you had the privilege to lead. And as long as you remember that, you were going to do OK. Any individual stories about some of those leaders, some of those, even even one that just really impacted your life and leadership? Absolutely. I was a senior first lieutenant 
and I was on the staff for a cavalry squadron. So I was was in the S3 shop. So I was writing op orders, operations orders, t- telling all the companies and platoons what they needed to do over the next three, four weeks or whatever, whatever mission we had coming up or event we had coming up. And, you know, when I first got there, the major who was in charge was not a good leader, in my opinion. And he was one of those guys, unmarried, and he was one of those guys that if I'm in the office, you're in the office. I don't care if it's eight o'clock at night. If I'm in the office, you're going to be in the office. And so we were. I mean, here's these lieutenants and staff sergeants and other enlisted soldiers. And we were hating life. We were just doing, you know, we we're making stuff up to do because we were we were there. We might as well do something. Well, we've got a new major in. And the very first day that he was in charge, I'm sitting there in the office. It's five o'clock. I'm sitting in the office. I'm working on an operations order that isn't due for another three weeks. And he sticks his head around the corner and he says, Oh, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm writing, I'm working on this operations order. And he said, is it due tomorrow morning at eight o'clock? And I said, no, sir. And he said, go home. Morale went through the roof in that organization. I mean, he said, look, if I need you here, I'll tell you. But otherwise at five o'clock, go home and do whatever it is you do when you go home. So. Yeah, I was at a in a training squadron at Lackland Air Force Base, uh, training up security forces members. And our new lieutenant colonel for the squadron, Lieutenant Colonel Irwin, we're in a commander's call, and he says, "Ladies and gentlemen, you're not that important." And I'm like, "Is this supposed to be a pep talk?" <laughs> and then he continued, "You're not that important. Take vacation with your family. Yeah. The, the mission will go on." We yeah. will, the rest of us will take care of it. And then when we go on vacation, you will take care of it for us. You're That's not, right. You're not that important. Take care of your families. And that has stuck with me ever since then. I was probably 22 at the time watching this, this Colonel say that. And it was, uh, it was inspirational once he got done with the sentence. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It make, it, again, it, it's about people. Leadership is about people. And if you take care of people now that, you know, when I say that some people say, well, you know, I'm not going to let them do whatever they want to do. I said, that's not taking care of people. Taking care of people is making them do the things that's right for them. Being a servant leader and taking care of people guarantees you are going to do some things sometimes that they don't like. You know, I was one of the, I'm, I'm one of those that I believe you do something to a standard. If we were training and we got, we met the standard at three o'clock in the afternoon, I said, okay, guys, go home, go, go do something else. If we didn't meet the standard till 10 o'clock that night, we were there till 10 o'clock that night, you know, and they, and some of them hated me for that at that, at the moment. But I promise you that at some point in their career, they realized the benefit of meeting the standard and knowing what they had to get done, especially when their life was on the line. Yeah. The, the process of sharpening, sharpening us as human beings is, is sometimes uncomfortable and not enjoyable, but the, the end result of being a sharpened instrument, a good tool for whatever, whether it's in our fatherhood, in our uh, parenting, or I guess that's the same thing in our parenting, in being married or in our profession. I I like the end result and the people that have gotten me there. I really respect. Yeah. It, again, it's, it, life is about people. It's about standards. At least if, if you're successful, I think life is about standards. And, and doing the right thing, you know, what, whether 
whether anybody likes it or not, you do the right thing. Um, and even if it's not in your best interest, you still got to do the right thing, especially if you're a leader. Yeah. So you get out of, and maybe I'm fast forwarding too much. Yeah. Let's, let's not go that fa- that far. So you're, you're, you're serving, you have a number, you know, at least that one remote tour where you were gone for six months away from your family. It sounds like a number of TDYs. Yeah. Other than not lying to our spouse and other than not recycling a whole bunch of all their mistakes, like, like we can learn from thousands of years of fighting over in the Middle East, what other, what other things did you and your wife do that created this recipe of a successful marriage? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, and I always tell people, cause people ask me now, they say, you know, you're, you're getting to the point where first of all, you're going to be home every day. Which we've never had that, and we're good, we'll have to figure. And we've actually talked about it. We'll we'll figure that one out. But they said, so you want to speak, so you're going to be gone all the time. I said, well, look, I don't want to be gone all the time. I said, if I could be gone twice a month, I'd be happy because because I, I actually like spending time with my wife. <laughs> you know, there's a concept for you, right? So I think I think that one of the things that we we actually do enjoy doing things together. And I don't care if we're just sitting on the couch with her reading her book and me reading mine or whatever. I mean, we, we like being in the same proximity together and and we try to try to do that as much as possible. But I, I think also just get on the same sheet of music. I mean, with our children, we were pretty much always on the same sheet of music. And when we maybe we weren't exactly, we sat down and talked about it. So I think just having that conversation when, when things may not be exactly the way they should be if you just have that conversation and come to an agreement of what where you're going and what you want to do then i think that that's a huge piece the other thing i always tell because i get i get asked all the time from young people that i mentor what's the secret to a long marriage and i said well here's the number one thing be careful what you say because once you say it it can never be undone so you know, I always tell people, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what you're about to say, stop and think about it before you say it. Because once you say it, it's done. Yeah, I, I can't remember who said this to me recently, but words are like toothpaste. Once they're out of the tube, it's really hard it, to get it you back ain't in. getting it back in. <laughs> I, I love, I think you were touching on there, keeping a short record of wrongs, right? And, and just spending time together. I mean, these are the things that my wife and I, have done and we don't do it perfect much like your point before there's no perfect people in the world right Uh, but it's through the imperfect way of us doing it and us seeking forgiveness from each other that helps us be stronger i think i mean we feel more intimate because what we've worked through together yeah and it is it's work i mean anybody who thinks you're going to stay married for 36 years and you're never going to have issues or never going to have to work through problems you're pretty naive. I mean, it, it, it is work to stay together and, and to make it work and to, to keep that relationship uh, the way it, it is. But, you know, I, I, I really do believe that that's part of the problem today is that, that people just don't, the first time something goes wrong or the first time something isn't the way they expected it to be, then they just say, okay, and they, and they move on. It, if you really want to stay together, you got to work at it. It, it. That's all there is to it. But, you know, going back to spending time with family, I, it always used to just irk me when a four-star general would get up on the stage and tell me 
that it's all about life, ba- life work balance. And I said, yeah, that's right. That's how you made four stars. Okay. <laughs> S- stop it. Cause it's not, but I do believe in work life balance, but there are jobs out there, your job, my job, other jobs out there where you don't have a say in when you're going to deploy, when you're going to be gone, when you're going to ha- have all those things. So you got to understand going forward. Okay. There's times when I don't have a choice. I'm going to miss birthdays, anniversaries. My daughter, I missed my daughter's birth. I was over in Saudi and, you know, in first Gulf war, I didn't see my daughter till she was five months old. Those things happen. But when you have that time and you have that opportunity to spend time, then you got to take full advantage of it. And I think that's where some people fail who have the occupations that we had where you were gone a lot when they were home, they didn't take advantage of that hometown. Yeah. I found it really easy to over identify with the job. You know, when I was an airman and I did, and I, and I, I, I'm just now starting to get better at it, not doing it. I mean, I, I think most very successful people do and it's hard not to, and it's, but it's getting easier for me. And, and my wife is reminding me, that I need to. And, uh, and, and she's right. Yeah. Listening as you, as usual, listening to our spouses, that has been one that probably over the last probably five years, probably maybe longer, but I've just really recognized the, the gift that I believe that she has in discernment and using her for a full sounding board and, and really cutting her loose on, tell me what you need to tell me because I want to hear it. Right. Absolutely. Well, one of the things I talk about in my book and in my presentation and w- with a lot of young people who are getting ready to be leaders, I, I always talk about the importance of communication because it is so important as a leader, it, not even as a leader. If you want to be successful in life, you got to be able to communicate. That's just a simple skill that everybody needs to be able to do if you want to be successful. And one of the things I talk about in that is a Napoleon's corporal. And, you know, most people know who Napoleon was. He was one of the greatest generals in the world. And when he was on a battlefield directing the battle, he always was up on his big white stallion and he had a, but he always had a low ranking corporal that would stand right next to him. And when he'd get to the point where he had to issue out orders to his generals, he'd write out his order, he'd issue it to this corporal. And after he issued it to the corporal, he'd say, okay, young man, tell me what I just told you to do in your own words. And if the corporal could do that, good order, send it out. If the corporal couldn't, then he knew it could be misunderstood and he started over again. And I always tell young leaders that if you really want to be good and you want, don't want to make stupid mistakes, you better have a, a Napoleon's corporal that you can bounce ideas off of. Somebody that you trust, somebody who isn't afraid to hurt your feelings, not a yes person. And I always tell them, look, I, I for many years, my best Napoleon's corporal was my wife because she wasn't afraid to hurt my feelings if she needed to. And she's smarter than I am. So I'd come home and say, I'm going to do something. And I could always tell by the look on her face, whether or not it was very a good idea or not. Uh, and, it, and if I couldn't, she would tell me it wasn't. So you got to have that person. You get, and, and hopefully that person, one of those people is your spouse uh, that, that you have that relationship with that, they can tell you the truth. And, you know, I always tell people, my wife is my best friend and she's my biggest critic. She's my biggest fan, best friend and biggest critic. 
you know, I, I never get nervous when I'm up in front of people talking. I would 1200 people, no problem. I get a little nervous when my wife is in the audience. <laughs> hey, baby, can you fact check everything I just said? Are those stories I told actually accurate? Yes. Hey, Oak, I learned a tough one on that one. I'm laying in bed with my wife. This is probably circa 2008. And I'd been a civilian police officer for about three years. And I'm like, hey, babe, I'm thinking about joining the SWAT team. Hey, don't say anything. I just want you to think about it. She goes, okay, I can think about it. We go to bed. The next day I get up, go to work, submit my letter that I'm applying for the SWAT team. And I come home, hey, babe, I dropped my letter applying for the SWAT team. She goes, I thought we were going to talk about it. And I went, we did talk about it last night. She goes, you told me not to say anything. That's right. Oh my gosh, I did. She was gracious with it. It ended up being a good experience. Probably the one thing though is at that moment in my life, I was doing way too much. I had uh, a couple significant roles in our detective division at work. I was taking care of other officers as a peer support. I was actually pastoring as a bivocation in a bivocational role at my church. And then I decided to join the SWAT team in case I wasn't busy enough already. Yeah, in case, in case you didn't have enough on your plate. Which in the end ended up causing uh, some serious issues with anxiety and depression. And I ended up having to step out of a lot of those roles because it was just too much. Boundaries. Boundaries yeah. in life are so important. What have you learned? I mean, certainly as a lieutenant colonel in the Army and then even with these other positions you've filled, what lessons have you learned about the importance of boundaries? That I, I tell people all the time, the most important word you need to know how to say is no. Because everybody wants a piece of your time. Everybody, every organization, especially if, if you're good, if you're successful, if you're good at things that you do, everybody wants you to be a part of it. And you just got, you have to step back and say, okay, do I have time to do that? And even if I have time, is it worth the time away from my family away from other things that I want to do. And I'm getting better at saying no. There was a time when I probably didn't say it enough, but now I'm, I'm getting much better at it. And the one piece of advice I give young people, not even leaders, but just young people coming to college, doing other things, is you got to learn how to say no. Really think about what it is that you want and is what you're about to do going to help you get where you want. Or is going to help somebody else get where they want uh, because it isn't always about you. But in the end, you, you got to really do a good analysis and say whether or not it's worth the time and effort that you're going to have to put into it. Because I'm one of those, I can't do things halfway. If, if I'm doing it, I want to be the best I can be at it. My father drilled that into me as a kid. And my when I was growing up, my father had this thing called the 75% rule. And he said, son, if you can't do something better than 75% of the people doing it, then you need to do one of two things. You either need to figure out how to get better at it, or you need to go find something else to do because it obviously doesn't matter to you. So I, I have lived that all my life and I passed it on to my kids and hopefully they're passing it on to their grandkids. I know I will try because it's important. Winning is important in the real world. Getting results matter. You know, in fantasy land where everybody's a winner and everybody gets a trophy, maybe not. But in the real world, results do matter. And I always tell people, look, I want to win at everything I do. I want to be the best at whatever I do. I don't care if I'm sweeping floors. I'm going to be the best floor sweeper there is. 
I don't care if I'm playing old maid with my nine-year-old granddaughter. I want to win. (laughs) And if you don't want to win, I don't want you on my team. I like it. Hey, what are some of the other uh, leadership principles that you talk about in your book, your leadership legacy? Yeah, I I think number one is that it's not about you. And and yet it's all about you. It's not about you. It's about selfless service. It's about being a servant leader. So it's not about you and the title you get or the privileges you get or the pay you get, that you live in a nicer house, get to drive a nicer car. Okay, leaders get those things usually. And that's okay. Not a problem with that. You earned it. But if that's the only reason you want to be a leader, go do something else because you're not going to be a good one. It's all about you and how you treat the people you have the privilege to lead. And it is a privilege and how you run your organization. Because that's why we put you in charge, is to make those people and those that organization better than when you got there. Uh, so I think, number one, selfless service. Number two, for me, and probably they're pretty closely aligned, I think, is integrity and character. Because it's all about trust. Leadership is all about trust. And, and not just the people you lead trusting you. It's a 360 degree trust. It's you trusting the people that you lead, the people you lead trusting you and the people you lead trusting each other. So a leader has to develop those things, but it starts with you. If they don't trust you, they're not going to trust anything else. And the way you earn that trust, a large part of how you earn that trust is with integrity and character, because you do have to set the example every day in everything you do because they are watching. If you don't think they are, you're kidding yourself because they are. So I think selfless service, integrity, character. And and then I think the other piece of that is developing relationships. And I understand, you know, you got to keep that leader-led relationship to a point. You can't cross that line. But that doesn't mean you don't get to know the people that you you get to lead, that you have to lead, and that you should want to lead. So you got to get to know them. And I think that's part of the trust piece as well. The more you get to know them, the more they get to know you, the more they're willing to trust you. And I I tell people there's a couple of easy ways to do that. Number one, you don't lead from behind the desk. Nobody wants to follow somebody from behind a desk. It's not going to happen. You have to get out where people are. The people that you are leading, you got to get out and meet them where they work, not where you work. You don't call them in the office and ask them a question. You go ask them where they are at. Because I promise you, you call somebody in your office and you're sitting behind your desk and they walk in and you ask them a question, you will get an entirely different answer than if you walk down to where they were working and ask them that same question. I promise. So you got to get out from behind your desk and get to to meet people. And one of the things I always encourage leaders to do is go out every day and find one person in your organization and find out one new thing about that person. Not about work, their personal life. What's their spouse's name? What's their kid's name? How many kids do they have? What sports do their kids play? What's their hobbies? Find one new thing out about one person every day. And a good way to do that, I had a boss, a mentor of mine who retired a three-star general. And he told me one day, he said, Oak, never ever, ever turn down a chance to go get your own cup of coffee. He said, two things happen when you do that. Number one, you show everybody that you're human just like they are. and You're no better than they are. You got to go get your own cup of coffee. Nobody's bringing it to you. He said, and number two, if you're lucky, 
there's about two or three different ways that you can get from your office to the coffee pot and back. And along the way, you stop and talk to people where they are, not in your office. That's powerful. It's powerful because here's the thing. Our organizations don't exist, meaning you take all the people out of them. They don't just keep happening, right? The U.S. Army doesn't keep happening. The, the no. planes don't fly. T- tanks don't drive. You got to have about humans. People. 100%. It is. And leadership and life is all about people. I mean, it really is. And, and, you know, in the Catholic Church, we talk about this thing called the holy moment, where your goal should be every day, at least one time every day, you go make a positive difference in somebody's life. Think about the power of that. If everybody in America every day made one positive difference in somebody else's life, how much better would this country be? It would be, it wouldn't even look the same. It, it wouldn't look the same because that's not our default. It isn't. Our default is to be selfish. Our default it is. is to be. And we got to change that. Cynical and focus on all of the bad. And we have to be in the discipline. And I like to call it a discipline because most of the things in my life that cause positive results are a discipline. I have to continue to do them every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to be, you have to have that self-discipline to do those things, you know? And, and I talk about one of the things I talk about is because people will say, well, you, you were in the army. So you learned this. I said, well, there's a huge difference between discipline and self-discipline, self-discipline you impose on yourself to do something because you think it's the right thing to do and it is bettering you. And, and they say, so how do you develop that? And I said, habits, we are a creature of habit. Every human is. And if you don't believe that, remember how you shave today, because I promise you shave the exact same way tomorrow. Remember how you put your shoes on, because I promise you, you'll put your shoes on exactly the same way tomorrow. We are creatures of habit. And we got to get to the point where we are having good habits. You have to examine your habits because you are, a product of your habits. So you have to examine your habits, try to fix the bad ones. And we all have bad habits. Again, nobody's perfect. And you have to try to make them into good habits, eliminate the bad habits, increase your good habits. And if you do that, then I think you will start to be able to have that self-discipline to do the things that you want to do. One of the things I always say to people is, you know, I'm a huge believer in routines of routines. So Try to do things exactly the same all the time. You know, make your bed in the morning. Uh, You know, the first thing I do when I get up is I listen to the daily mass. I read a chapter of the Bible. I do my prayers. The last thing I do before I go to bed is I read a little bit out of whatever book I'm reading or whatever articles I got saved up. I do my journal for the day. And then I do a reflection of the day. What did I do? What did I do today? What did I do well? How could I do it better? What didn't I do so well? And how can I not do that again? Because I think reflection, not only as a, lead, as a leader, it's huge, but as a person, it's huge. That's how we learn. That's how we get better. Is reflect, reflect on what we did and figure out how to get better at it. Yeah. I want to go back to the servant leadership piece because it, it gets back into this conversation of people. As you were describing that, I thought about the Air Force was really good about giving out awards. You had Airman of the Month, Airman of the Quarter, Airman of the Year. I mean, and I, between my my high school time, my military time, and then getting into the police force, I was working hard and I was getting awards, lots of plaques. 
I was just looking for an old t-shirt today and I was going through some boxes in the garage and I'm coming across all of these medals and plaques. Zero emotional response within me. Seeing them did not make me feel any better. And as you were describing taking care of people, I sat there and thought of someone that works in my organization. I don't even directly supervise them, but they had mentioned to me uh, something. Um, They mentioned that they had never received their high school diploma. And I have an in at the local high school. And I know that all of those diplomas are safe. She she earned it. She just never received it. And so I found a school district administrator that came over to our department and we had a graduation ceremony. Wow. And she she pops into my office probably, I don't know, it may have been a day, a week later. And she goes, that is the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. That's amazing. I feel like a million bucks right now retelling the story. No, again, it's not about me. I didn't do it. So she would say that to me. I didn't know even if she was totally going to think it was cool or not. She may have looked at it and been like, oh, thanks, whatever. But those are the stories. And, and I like, I used to strive for perfection. And in the Air Force, I thought I could be perfect. I could fold my underwear to perfection, my t-shirts to per- hospital corners on my bed, yeah. perfection. You could bounce a quarter off the bed. And then when I was confronted with the fact that I wasn't perfect, I really struggled with that. And, and I've replaced perfection. I've replaced it for greatness. And I'm totally stealing this from a book. It might be the one right over the corner there that says Seasons of Life. I can't remember uh, but if that's the correct one, it, the author talks about uh, this football coach and he told his players he expected greatness and he defined greatness as the degree in which we impact other people's lives. I like yeah. that definition. I, I want to strive for greatness, not for perfection. I'm going to screw up and I'm going to have to apologize to you when I do it. But if I can strive for greatness and positively impact human beings' lives, I'm going to be living a life of purpose, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, that reminds me of the old Vince Lombardi quote, and he's got a bunch of them that I love. But this one, he said, strive for perfection. Nobody can reach that. But if you're striving for for perfection, you might reach excellence. And, you know, and then you got to define what excellence is to you. And you just did uh, what it means to you. And I think that's a great definition of, you know, taking care of other people and, and helping other people. Cause I think that's a huge part of what we do as leaders. So I, th- I think you have to understand that you're not going to be perfect, but you know, you try to be as close to that as you can as a, as a leader. And, and especially when you're taking care of people, because that's, you, you never know the impact you are going to have on people. You know, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I was a basic training company commander at Fort Knox, Kentucky. And I had a whole bunch of basic trainees, privates in the army. And we, we were out on the range and I always tried to be wherever my privates were as much as possible. I got it. I mean, I there were times I had to be sitting behind a desk filling out forms and doing all those things that leaders have to do. But every chance I got, I got out wherever they were. And that day we were out on a range, out on the tank range. And so my privates were fight, learning how to gun load drive the tank and i got out there right about lunchtime and there were three privates sitting up on top of a tank an m1 tank eating an mre so i picked up an mre and i jumped up on top of the tank and we're sitting there eating an mre together and um and i was asking them what what their dreams or aspirations what did they want to do you know and they were telling me and one of them said he wanted to be a leader and i said well you know 
whenever your time enlistment time's up, maybe you want to do ROTC and you want to go be an officer in the army. And we, he asked some questions and I talked to him. He left, you know, he graduated, he went off in the army. I never even, couldn't even tell you his name today. About right after I wrote my book, he got in contact with me and he said, you know, you don't know who I, you probably don't remember who I am. He said, but we set up on a tank. I said, I know exactly. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. I said, I don't remember your name. Sorry, but I do remember that event. And he said, well, I took your advice. He said, I did my enlistment time, got out, went to college, went through ROTC, retired a lieutenant colonel in the army. Now, then I started my own business. And, and he said, and I'm very, I'm very successful. And he said, and a lot of it had to do with just that one day you sitting there talking to us. So you never know what impact you're going to have on people. Never. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of, for me personally, it, there's, there's, there's ego, right? Like if I, because I think God is using us to impact people's lives. And I think if I realized how much he was using us, I might give myself a little bit too much credit from time to time. Yeah, I, I might be exactly. like, I'm really good. Look yeah. at this. Uh, so it's, I think it's, I think it's meant to be that we don't always realize the degree in which we're impacting people's lives, but conducting ourselves in such a way uh, with an intent to impact, I think is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the advice, a, a piece of advice I give all of the lieutenants that we commissioned and this year, we commissioned 63 out of our program. One, the, one of the last pieces of advice I give them is go out every day and make a conscious decision to make a positive difference in somebody's life. I said, you are going to make a difference in people's lives. Why not make a conscious decision to make a positive and go out there and do it? One person every day, make a positive, just one. If you can do more than that, good for you and do as many as you can, but at least every day make one positive difference. And again, you know, I think if, if everybody in this world did that, we'd, we'd live in a very nice, very much nicer world than we do. Hey, this next book, uh, do, you, do you already have a title for it? I, I know what the, it's going to be about. I don't know that I have a title for it yet. Um, it's going to be about how to be successful. And I give that's the other presentation that I give. And I've given it a lot of times, not as much as I have my leadership presentation, but I, I have given it a lot. And, and in there, I talk about how to set goals and how to accomplish goals. I talk about how to build good habits and some self-discipline. I talk about getting to know people, how you treat people. And one of the, one of the things I, I start the presentation, and I'll start the book probably the same way, I say, look, there are no secrets to success. And anybody who tells you they are, are lying to you. Okay. There is no secret. To, there's no cookie cutter solution. I can't say you do all these things and you're going to be successful. I wish I could. I wish the world was that way, but that's not real life. I said, but there are some things you can do that will help increase your opportunities of being successful. And so that's what I want to cover in, in my next book. I like it. And you said you're going to start, start putting more energy into that here as you retire from the ROTC program. Yeah. And I also want to just write some, I want to write some articles. I want to write some blogs. I'm working on a blog right now on community, on, on communication. And, and I, I, I just, the other day, I just kind of wrote down some things that I want to write a couple blogs on and somebody gave me a piece of advice, uh, probably about five months ago. And, and I'm just now starting to do it. 
But he said, take those blogs. He said, write your blogs that will be chap parts of a chapter of your book. And then you don't have to redo it. You just take that, add it to your book, add some things to it, maybe make it fit in whatever that chapter is. But you've already done the work um, for that piece of it. And so that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to start trying to write some blogs that I will eventually end up in my book. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Then you have the framework already because those blogs are probably the, the chapter titles, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I, I already have pretty much, a, I have a good idea what the chapters are and what I want to write about. Um, so I, I can start writing some blogs on each one in each one of those subjects and uh, and then use it in the book. Of course, add to it and other things, but but at least the outline, the the beginning of it will be there. Yeah. Hey, if this is someone's first time hearing you, Oak, what, what are ways that people can follow the work that you're doing? Yeah, so I have a website, ltcoakmacullough.com. And on there, it has my cell phone number and my email address. Happy to, to talk to people. I'm also, and, and if you want to, you know, I'm always happy if we can figure out a time and it makes sense for us to hop on a Zoom and, and get to know each other a little bit better. But I'm also on all the social media. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, although I, that one I'm, don't have a whole lot of, I don't understand that one quite as well. I, I have a YouTube channel that has some of my videos on it and some podcasts up on it. So uh, happy to happy to connect however somebody wants to. And if they just want to talk or they're, they're looking at maybe having me come be a keynote speaker for one of their conferences or an event, happy to do that. And one of the things that I really want to do, and I'm starting to do the outline again and kind of figure out what I want it to look like. But come one October, when I retire, I want to also have, you know, a two hour, a six hour seminar, a, a one day, two day seminar that, that we can get hands on and start talking in depth in some of those specific issues and, and uh, areas. And we'd love to, to do that kind of stuff as well. I love it. Well, for the listeners look down in the show notes and I'll have the links for all of those down there. Oak, time is my greatest commodity. I can't make more of this stuff. And you, <laughs> you have graciously given me a lot of yours. I appreciate you, brother. Oh, I, I'm happy. You know, I always tell people when I'm on their shows, you know when it was a great show is when it comes to an end and you're like, you mean 45 minutes, an hour just went by? I, mean, <laughs> I, could, sit, talk to, I could talk to you for forever. I agree. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, what did you think of Oak's perspectives on life and leadership? Constantly amazed by this privilege to interview folks and to learn more of their story. It impacts my life. Hey, Jamie and I are constantly trying to make this podcast better. We'd really appreciate you communicating back to us in one way or another. First and foremost, please follow us on whatever podcast platform you're consuming this on. That will cause the next episode to come up. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify or watching on YouTube, there's ways to rate and review us to give thumbs up for episodes. Uh, on Apple and Spotify, there's five stars waiting on our main page. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating. That will cause it to be more viewable on those platforms. However, folks, those are your stars. If we haven't earned five stars, keep them. 
Instead, shoot us an email at chris at gravityct.com. Let us know how to make it better. Future Marriage Monday topics or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Let's go out and take care of the people in our tribe. Take care of each other. God bless.